welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Emily Khan, a director here at PwC, and I'm your host for today's episode. In this episode, we'll be examining the impact COVID-19 has had on the workplace. In March 2020, almost overnight, COVID-19 transformed the working patterns of UK workers, with almost half of all people in employment in the UK doing some work from home in the first month of lockdown. Now, at the time of recording, we find ourselves in a second lockdown period, albeit with the glimmer of a viable vaccine on the horizon. So many of the questions that have been on the minds of business leaders about their workforce and workplaces are back at the fore. We'll be taking a look today at what role the workplace will play in our working lives moving forward, which for us at PwC means the office, but has a very different meaning in other sectors where the choices are not simply work from the office or work at home. We'll be focusing on two industries that have been heavily impacted by the pandemic, education and manufacturing, and where adapting has been far from straightforward. Both these sectors, and many others like them, have been forced to change fast this year, but we'll also look at those changes that are likely to stick around. To do just that, I'm joined in our virtual studio today by Darren Jukes and Kat McCusker. Darren is our leader of industry for industrial manufacturing and services, and Kat is our education leader. Hello to you both. I hope you're both safe and well today. Hi, Emily. Hi, Emily. Lovely to see you both. Thanks for joining us. Kat, I'd like to come to you first, if I may, just to get us started. With everything that's happened this year, what do you think we've learned about the role of the workplace? I think we've learned, Emily, it's actually a lot more important to us than we had ever probably given it credit for before. We've learned it's such an important place for collaboration, connection, and actually how do we do our ideation as well? It's where we can really get together and be creative. And, and one of the key things has been us learning to do that in a different way. Um, also for many people, it's really how they get to see their role models in action. And I know for me personally, just being able to walk the floors and connect and meet with people is really powerful, making those connections, learning more from what everybody's doing. And it's also just that sense of going somewhere to work. For example, lots of our more junior members of staff and our graduates are living in shared accommodation and they've just not been able to avail of having that actual proper space for working in and a positive environment. It's almost can feel like they've been locked in their bedrooms for the last six months. So this is something that, you know, to have that quiet, comfortable place to work is something we feel really acutely aware of here at PwC. And let's not yeah. forget the average age of our workforce is just 31. I definitely agree with you there, Kat. Uh, I've certainly noticed a real change in working etiquette and a new working etiquette emerge over the past few months. Um, it was interesting as we went into lockdown and we all became very used to doing uh, video calls uh, very quickly. Um, I think as we emerged from that, we started to end with a slightly blended working environment with some people in the office and some people still continuing to uh, dial in from home. It actually created a new sense of frustration. You know, we've all been there as being the one dialed in um, to a meeting with everyone else in the room. And some of the, the challenges and difficulties that that actually raised for people, I think, put a new um, different strain on the uh, the dynamics that we've seen with people. Um, so I think we sort of you know, definitely see how people have emerged with their behaviours, how they've interacted in calls has actually started to emerge quite kind of quickly. Um, I think what your point about remote collaboration is really important as well. Um, I think to some degree, and I think, you know, I was talking to a CEO about this recently. He felt he'd learned so much about his employees during that sort of lockdown period. 
he'd actually be able to get around more meetings. You know, he's physically um, able to attend far more meetings during the day. And he'd actually therefore seen a lot more of his workforce in action. He'd actually seen them interacting during those sessions. And he was able to give them feedback, you know, both during the sessions and, and afterwards. And I think it gave a real culture boost to that organisation to actually kind of feel that the CEO was directly engaged in meetings, but otherwise diaries and travel commitments just prevented him from doing so. Really resonates with me what you've just said there, Darren, and, and particularly the, the example that you've given around kind of being frustrated on the end of a call. I had a very recent experience like that myself. I think we've all agreed as a team that moving forwards, we've we've got to either be all together or, as you say, kind of all dialed in. Um, so it sounds like from what you're both saying, you know, there's still a feeling that the formal workplace plays a role. So you, you see some uh, some viewpoints in the news that... Um, that we'll all be working from home forevermore and, and the office is dead, as it were. But it sounds like you both agree that there's there's a role for the workplace. Um, let's let's just turn to the economic impact. So we've talked about the employee impact there. Um, what do you see maybe in, in the um, industrial manufacturing and services sector, Darren, as the economic impact of the types of changes we've been seeing? Yeah, and I think it's a really uh, interesting question. And, and clearly, um, as a firm, we've, we've been looking at this quite closely, both through the lens of the impact on the high street, but then more broadly in terms of the impact on the economy more generally. I mean, picking up on the one area that, uh, that I focus on around the service sector, you know, that's around 80% of UK GDP is represented by people who work in that space. They've suddenly had to adapt this sort of um, environment of, of empty offices with nearly you know, four out of five employees working from home. And that's had a real impact, of course, on the surrounding areas. You know, as you come into the office and you go and get your coffee or grab a sandwich on the way in, all of those businesses have really kind of felt the impact of having no one come into those offices on a, on a regular daily basis. And then there's the sort of entertainment, eating out sort of segments. Again, that's been a real shift that's taken place and have felt the impact of this really quite starkly. Uh, remote working, however, you know, it's brought some some benefits. Um, flexible working cultures have been something that, you know, potentially to encourage economic uh, inactivity. Um, some of that has been a cultural shift for people, but also it's opened up new work opportunities for people. You know, if you're able now to work more flexibly uh, and maybe remotely, there are perhaps career choices or job opportunities that were previously inaccessible to people that have now suddenly become available. So there are some positive impacts, I think, from an, from an economy point of view. Um, but, you know, I think what the study that uh, we produced um, says is that, you know, if basically everybody continues to work from home universally, um, over the long term, you could probably something you'd see around 15.3 billion lower um, economic value for the UK per year, which is enormous. You know, that's a real problem that we need to solve alongside some of the, the tax challenges that we've also seen along the way. I think there's a really interesting uh, point in what you're just saying there around the the intersections between businesses and the ecosystem around it. And I'm sure, Kat, kind of as an education specialist, that must resonate a lot in the context of the ecosystem of education. We've we've see, all seen the headlines about students being locked down, and that must be really tough for them, particularly in their first year. What's it? How's it played out in the education ecosystem? I mean, it's just been like the perfect storm in the system this year. I've never seen so much disruption. 
Um, and if you just look at it, it's particularly from students right through to primary school, recent surveys from London School of Economics has said that over two and a half million children had no schooling or tutoring during the first lockdown. But adding to that there, we've seen an incredible rise in digital poverty and also the social inequality is more than ever now at the forefront of the education agenda. The, the pandemic is just exasperating the existing inequalities and in some families where they don't have access to Wi-Fi and don't have any tablets or technology, we're having up children of maybe a families of four to six people are trying to be educated off one phone and having to share how they're doing this. And of course, it's really unsurprising about this upheaval that the pandemic has taken. But one of the key things for me that I'm personally very passionate about is the impact on the mental health. Already our UK universities were experiencing one suicide every three days. And that was before pre-pandemic. Wow. We're expecting this to rise exponentially. And we're seeing this particularly starting to go down with across our 13 to 18 year olds being at potential risk without getting the right support. Adding to that, the real impact this has had on our teachers and academics. You will see more than ever every, every day on the news it is the academic point of view that governments all around the world are looking for. And at a time where they're under this increasing pressure, their home lives and their nonstop working hours, like what we're experiencing, can be really, really difficult. And there's just not enough depth and breadth of technology to go around. The sector has had to pivot literally overnight from being chalk and talk to, to, to doing exciting virtual engaging digital lectures and we don't see that changing in the short term we expect this to go on and we're now going into a second year of potential non-exams again the long-term impact that this is going to have on both these students and on the economy is yet to really be addressed. I think your point around that uh, skills point and the use of virtual learning cats really interesting. Um, certainly, if I reflect on my my own experience, um, you know, the children doing distance learning and using the laptop all day instead of, you say, the uh, the chalk and talk methodology. I thought what was interesting though is some reflection across to also then watching them play video games. You know, it's actually quite a, an interesting reflection to say in the interactions they were having, the social interactions that they were achieving through some of that um, online play with their friends. As adults, you know, that's a fantastic skill that they're going to bring into what might be and potentially will be a very different working environment and being able to communicate effectively to organise social arrangements around virtual um, environments could actually be quite a, a key skill and, and perhaps some of the bad press around video gaming could actually be offset by um, a skills development that could be quite important for the future. It's a great point, Darren, because actually literally today it's came out about actually the positive impact that a lot of video and gaming is having, not only on young people, but on adults who engage in it in regard to both, as you said, the social skills, but also as part of their wider mental health to have that escape and that element of headspace that it's now associating in the new world we live in. Absolutely, yeah. And I even sort of take it on, so, you know, one of the sectors that I focus on heavily is, is manufacturing. And, you know, whilst a lot of people working in that segment clearly, clearly can't work from home, you know, they, they have to go into their uh, place of work to actually carry out their, uh, their jobs and their tasks. We're seeing, again, the growth of the use of uh, virtual reality, the, the use of augmented reality, the use of things like digital twins, where people can sit remotely and actually observe equipment and support the training and the use of equipment. Um, online. So again, those skills are very transferable and very relevant 
even in the physical world of manufacturing. But it was also interesting talking to clients in that space as we went through the lockdown, because clearly a substantial amount of our manufacturing and some of our service um, individuals were going into work alongside you know, the people in, in the retail segment. And you actually saw a bit of a two-tier system emerge, you know, where people um, perhaps more involved in the physical production were having to attend work and find their ways into work, um, whereas some of the office-based people were able to work from home. And so actually one of the challenges that are talking to clients in that space they found was actually maintaining a cohesion, a one business um, feel around the organisation rather than this kind of two-tiering of people who were in and people who were out. And I think as we go through perhaps a more fluid and more dynamic, whether it's tier systems or whether it's the, the, uh, the more sort of flexible use of furlough, I think that's going to be an important feature for businesses as they move forward is how do you maintain a cohesion and a sense of one organisation with people working different patterns. I think the other sort of area, particularly manufacturing, I guess, is a lot of people have also taken this as a bit of a reflection of whether they're prioritising their investment in automation sufficiently. You know, lots of businesses have had to adapt the ways they work, changing shift patterns, changing the number of people that they have in the facility at any one point in time. And therefore, that's creating additional cost. It's creating inefficiencies. And so I have seen quite an acceleration of some of the planned investments people had in automation really starting to come forward so that they can start to address perhaps some of the productivity losses they've seen or maybe, dare I say, hedge against some similar scenarios actually emerging out into the future. It's interesting listening to you both talk and comparing notes across your sectors, how there's a real common uh, common thread there around some acute challenges being faced today, but you don't have to look very far into the future to see the role that technology will play in a sustainable new way of working. And I'm conscious that those sorts of investment, that sort of adaptation to a changing environment can be quite costly for businesses in an economic climate that has brought unprecedented challenges. I'd be interested in, in your observations on choices that you're seeing business leaders take, Darren, to, to create the, the capacity to make those investments. Are people looking at their real estate, their workplaces as somewhere where they can release capital to move forward in a new way? I think that they are, Emily, and I suppose it comes back to the point of what the, uh, what the pandemic has actually created is an environment that um, has no playbook. It has no rules as to what you should do or what you could do. And actually, some of the best organisations are using this as a bit of a moment in time. You know, they're really taking a long, hard look at every single aspect of their business. And they're actually engaging in conversations that, I guess, quite frankly, a year ago, maybe would have been really challenging or, or perhaps even you know, impossible to have. But what's been created is a new environment. People's attitudes have changed. People have experienced ways of working that they hadn't really had the opportunity to do before. And so what I think you've seen is people seizing that opportunity and actually trying things and testing things, engaging with staff to actually find out what they do want, what might work for them, and actually potentially coming out of it in a much better shape um, as a consequence of taking some of those decisions or making some of those changes. And that certainly resonates with me, the kind of as an employee being engaged with about how I want to work is, is certainly having an impact on on my morale and motivation. Kat, I'd be interested in your perspectives on, on some of those practical things that um, leaders of organisations can be doing to to change and respond to this sort of hybrid working practice we've been talking about. What are your reflections on that? 
I think, um, you know, as any good consultant, we're always going to use the word agile, Emily, but I think agility is going to be absolutely key here. Um, businesses are going to have to be able to be fleet of foot and be able to pivot to maximize any benefits from both home and office working. And I definitely think they're going to have, we've seen already a big move away to new ways of working that will be disruptive for particularly a number of those areas and regions actually that really rely on workers being physically present but starting to recognize that you can get that hybrid model of both on-site and remote working I think the challenge will be for policymakers and business to start to make informed decisions about what is the future of work and how that's going to be delivered. One of the everlasting effects of COVID is that working patterns are going to become more flexible, particularly for office workers. I mean, seven in 10 professionals would prefer to work at home most of two days a week in the office going forward, but only a quarter want to do it full time. I think it will be how do you actually get that blended model and be successful. And even if we reflect on it, while it's working from home has been great, what we felt is the additional diary pressure of nonstop back-to-back meetings and longer 12 and 13 hour days. So I think people would like to get back to that little bit of the best of both worlds that it could be. But I think employees will expect businesses to allow for this continued home working as well as the option for COVID secure. I think they will be definitely looking for both and for many of the social and mental health reasons as well, Emily. Okay, Darren, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I would agree. I think it reflects back on what what you said um, at the start there, Emily, I guess in terms of listening to employees. You know, we've we've said all along there is no playbook here. There are no rules as to, to what should happen or what could happen. Engaging with the workforce, understanding what it is that works for them, what sort of balance it is that they're trying to achieve. You know, lots of people feel that they have a better work-life balance as a consequence of being able to spend more time at home. But we shouldn't underestimate the point that Kat made right at the very start um, of this discussion, which is really about the benefits of bringing people together to learn, to learn from each other. Um, And actually, particularly for newer employees or younger employees, that's really crucial. You know, as a firm, I guess ourselves, we've seen the benefit of how the physical presence in the office, people gain a huge amount of that from their learning and development of just watching colleagues, being around colleagues, being able to ask those ad hoc questions of people. And that's a really important feature that I think, you know, it's important that we don't overlook that uh, and we don't just dismiss that as being unimportant. No, I completely agree with you there. And actually, you you remind me to some extent of a conversation I had on a previous episode of this podcast where we talked about the opportunity to level up skills um, between regions of the UK, something clearly, Kat, you just mentioned a moment as well. And I'd be interested in in your thoughts on that question. Do you think in this move and in this pivot to, you know, hybrid ways of working and more flexibility, have we got an opportunity in there as as a nation to redistribute skills and, and wealth across the UK? What do you think? I think there's definite potential there, you know, in terms of where jobs and, and yeah, we've seen in various studies the growth of and the change in the, the types of jobs people are involved in. Um, there is definitely with a shift to greater working. People have more flexibility about where they live um, and therefore that presents the opportunity to actually redistribute some of that economic economic activity away from cities, suburban areas and perhaps into more kind of rural areas. Um, one of the recent uh, pieces of research that we did um, as a firm said around a third of Londoners aged over 45 now expected to move away from the capital um, in the ne- next time they buy a home. You know, that's just an indication of people reassessing 
their lifestyles, reassessing how they want to work, and actually, you know, taking advantage of some of the opportunities that a more flexible, more remote style of working presents for them. Um, however, um, yeah, as I said um, in sort of the conversation earlier, some people don't have that choice. You know, in the manufacturing space, um, there is uh, the, the need to be physically in the workplace. Um, and therefore, I think it's important not to be too broad in some of the conclusions that we reach here. Yes, there is some opportunity, but we shouldn't try and put everybody in the same box and assume that everything applies to everyone in a similar way. For those types of organisations, you know, being physically located near your uh, your place of work is still going to remain quite important. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there, Darren. And I, I certainly feel very, very lucky to be working for an employer where we have this option to work from home. But I, I recognise that that challenge that you describe and the need not to to draw too many conclusions that aren't relevant to everybody. Um, I wonder if it's worth us touching a little bit on what we are looking at as a firm, um, conscious that as a national employer, we're looking at those regional dimensions and, and the different working options. I wonder if Kat, maybe you could talk through a little bit of, of the experience that you've seen here at PwC. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, like all businesses, this has been a challenging time and we've just really come out to do the best we have. I think two pivotal things for me that came across, we made a significant investment choice as a firm a number of years ago in Google. And at the time it was really expensive. And I think a lot of partners maybe debated, did we need to do it? But it gave us the best advantage coming out of the gates when we went into lockdown. And also reflecting on the fact that the average age of our employees is 31. Our general view has always been that we had to be able to give our staff that flexibility to either get back to the office or not. The second thing, which I think we have done amazingly well, we have been led by our people. We have been incredibly people-centric. We've reached out, we've listened, and we've really understood what our people need, whether that's for mental health reasons, whether they need that physical contact, or they just need to have that space. We've maintained and keeping our office open for people who have those personal or business needs to keep going, and we'll continue to be driven by that. I suppose some of the key things on reflection um, it's easier to shut an office down than it is to reopen it. Yeah. Um, not as easy. Um, with this in mind, you know, we had to completely prioritise health and safety. The levels of detail that, that arise is quite mind-blowing. But we really put the huge effort in to have the standard one-way systems throughout the buildings, temperature checks on entry. And we even developed our own AI bot to really manage the flow of people in and out of the office allow you to book your time slot to enter the office and really like people taking the personal responsibility that they're not exhibiting any type of uh, coronavirus symptoms. And once you're in the office on a particular day, they get a data pass, as many of you will know on your app, and they present that to the welcome team each time they go in and out of the office during that day to allow us to do our own form of track and trace. I suppose our learnings and reflections on this is Whilst the office is really important, returning to it, as we said, is entirely voluntary. This, again, is just being really important to give people a choice, but be led by what our staff want. Some people may not want to come back. Others really want to do this. So it's getting that blend, particularly on a voluntary basis. Um, but we've also learned how important, as we started this conversation today, just how much the office is as a community, as an environment, as a hub for connecting, learning and sharing our experiences. 
And I think also we find most of our London employees who commute into the city are now starting to use some of the more regional offices instead, like Reading, for example. So we're finding lots of different ways of using offices, which is a change I think we'll see to become a lot more permanent now, maybe not the feeling that we all have to be based in London to be able to do a day's work. Um, I think that will be really interesting to see how that transpires. Yeah, I definitely recognise a lot of what you've described there, Kat, being on the receiving end of those consultations and that interest and focus in our well-being and, and supporting that communication through to a teams and seeing the variety of responses definitely um, feels very real here on the ground. Um, thank you both very much. So much food for thought there on this quite complicated um, set of challenges and opportunities. We are almost out of time today. Um, but before we wrap up, I'm just going to give you the chance for any final thoughts for our listeners if they're thinking through these types of questions themselves. Darren, I'll come to you first, if I may. Uh, thanks, Emily. Yeah, it, it, as you say, it is interesting and it is complicated. Um, the thing I would also say is it's there's no right or wrong answer to any of this. You know, business models are still evolving. Organisations are still working out what's right for them. You know, it won't be the same for every business. I think it's also talking to some of my other clients, they're also questioning, you know, whether some of the experience of the last nine months is truly representative of what a long term, flexible or home slash hybrid model would look like um, into the future. You know, or is there some sort of benefit or some sort of um, opportunity that's been taken that doesn't sustain? You know, once we're hopefully through through the pandemic and, and out the other side, does some of what they've seen in terms of behaviours or what people really want actually change again? And so that word agile really does kind of really come to to the fore and spring to mind. The one thing I would say that is clear, though, is that all organisations have been forced to challenge and question pretty much every aspect of their business from what they do, how they do it um, and where and from where they do it. And, you know, those organisations that have really embraced that opportunity to fundamentally reassess all parts of their business could actually emerge in a really strong, leaner way. And actually, what that opportunity represents is a real competitive advantage as they go out into what will hopefully be a post-COVID world. Yeah, completely agree with all of that. Kat, um, any final thoughts from you? I think just building off everything Darren says, which I agree with, I think it's a real opportunity for organisations to really redefine who they are, what their purpose is and have a real focus on both their people centricity of their employees, but also their customer centricity and what that might mean. Um, how can they actually be delivering their services better? So real optimization of their business model and looking then how they put the correct infrastructure and technology around to be executed on this. It's quite an exciting time for us to be seeing how we can be helping clients respond to that. But I think there's going to be no right or wrong answer. And it's going to be, as Darren said, those who make that early adoption and come out of the gates first are going to be the ones who can have a lot more uh, competitive advantage in the market. Well, what a great way to close. Thank you both so much, Kat and Darren, for sharing your insights. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening. I think we're all agreed here that the workplace still plays an important role in working life, um, but perhaps never in the same way that it once did, which offers new opportunities for businesses and employees alike. If you'd like to find out more about how we at PwC are responding to COVID-19 and keeping our employees safe, visit our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash COVID-19. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with all of our latest episodes of this Business in Focus podcast series. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.